Welcome to Becoming Parents Podcast. I'm Jen Taylor, your host. I am mom of 18, and you can find me on momsrunningit.com. Remember, give a shout out to those who are brave enough to share their stories with us on how they have become parents. Let's dive right in. Welcome to Becoming Parents. I'm the host, Jen Campbell, and I am with Mark Aylward today. How are you, Mark? I'm well, Jen. How are you? I'm very well, and you're grammatically correct. Nicely done. We're both well. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for having me. I am excited to have you on. I I don't get more excited, I think, to have men on than women, but it is a, a lower percentage, so I think that that's exciting. And you have things in your story that I really want listeners to hear about. I think it can make a substantial difference in their lives. I'd love for you to jump in and and start talking about how you became a parent. Yeah, as I was thinking about that, when you asked me earlier, I think I would go back to my childhood. I think the, because um, I remember the 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 night that I found out my girlfriend was pregnant, who became my wife and the mother of my three children, and then my ex-wife. Um, I just remember feeling so um, blissful at the news. In mm. spite of the circumstances, all I remember is... I- I'm going to be a dad. And uh, (laughs) yeah, that's a, it was a a very emotional moment. It's something I've always wanted to be. And so I wasn't considering any of the circumstances or the propriety of it all. I just knew I was going to be a dad. So I think that goes back to my childhood and it's because of the relationship I have with my own father, Mm. who's a great dad. So I could talk about that for the rest of the day. (laughs) But uh, those are the things that kind of rush through my head when you ask me that question, where did it all start? And then it's a journey, right? We all and anybody who's a parent knows it's a journey. And so let me know where you want to go from there, Jen, but uh, there's all kinds of places I can go from there. I think I'd like to ask since you went back to your dad, you're one of four kids. Am I correct in that? One Mm -hmm. of four in the middle. Um, Second child. Yep. Okay. And so a lot of responsibility, but not the onus of the oldest. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just talking to my older brother the other day, and he's a he's a powerful guy, man. It's it's so interesting. Um, my ex was the eldest in her family as well. That's a daunting task, and you don't really know that it's going to be daunting. But uh, he just takes care of stuff. Yeah, all, all the stuff. <laughs> yep, I'm the oldest. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Different. And and my daughter, that's the oldest, very different. And I, I know sometimes I've looked and thought, I'm glad that she's the one, her personality, Mm -hmm. the, the type of human being she is. I'm glad that she was tasked with that job, even though I'm also sorry, (laughs) like, sorry, you, you know, so no, I get it. I get it. My eldest is the, is the glue in our family as well. My eldest daughter. Yeah. She just got, she gets the stuff done. She takes on the responsibility before anybody else even brings it up. You know, I'd like to ask you what things about your dad, what lessons and, and also like, if you were super aware of this before you became a father, because I think we're aware, but then we're like hyper aware when we're parents of yeah. whatever example we had that we want it to be different or we want to emulate it. What do you think are some of the best things that he passed down to you for your own parenthood journey. Yeah, I, I, I've I've answered this question before, and I used to say, um, I used to say, what did I used to say about him? Um, I used to say about my mm. kids, I treated them like they were adults from very young age. Mm. But I, I, I don't think that's the proper way to say that. I think it's like 
he treated me with respect, like as far back as I can remember. He didn't uh, put himself on a pedestal. He was like, it was he wasn't a peer because I adored him and I looked up to him and I respected him. But he, there was no gaga goo goo stuff. I never did that with my kids either. I started talking to him in plain English at a very mm -hmm. young age, and I I think that's big. You know, I think that's big. It's hard to balance out not being a peer with your kids. Um, I never talked the Gaga Gugu stuff either. So I get that. But being a having them look up to you and or, and having that respect and parenting. I mean, parenting your kids, disciplining your kids is a that's a tough thing to do sometimes to be mm -hmm. not their equal. You are not their equal. Um, you're not their friend and and get that respect. I know lots of parents struggle with that balance. So you found out you're pregnant. Well, you found out your girlfriend was pregnant at the time. You married her and had three kids because you shared mm -hmm. that. Tell me mm -hmm. what parenting was like for you. Was it, <laughs> you said something about it on your website, um, on your about information, your immaturity, ignorance, and always wanting to be a dad were the three things that made you excited about it. And I mean, those are good things, right? So what yeah. was it, but what was it really like? Because it is all of the glowing, wonderful, beautiful things you think it is. And also it's, it's hard. Yeah. Well, you know, when we first got married, there were, there were you know, 10 or 12 um, good years and uh, we made a ton of progress. I was very successful. She was very successful. The kids were great, you know, getting good grades, behaving properly, you know, ticking off all the boxes, playing sports, extracurricular activities. Um, but then it started to get challenging. And um, when the communication started to break down and then disappear, um, it got really hard. And um, what long story short, after seven, I think it was six or seven different judges over the course of somewhere between seven and 10 years, to, to, to the tune of a couple million dollars, um, I got custody and only when I started to represent myself and I, and the seventh judge was a young, relatively young woman. And she was the first judge that I, when I looked at her, I thought she gets this, you know, she's only interested in the best interests of the children. And up to that point, it had just been domestic nonsense, you know, just unbelievably ridiculous circumstances. But so when you say, you know, what did that look like or what was it like to be a parent? I went from being a, a dad with a with a helper called mom to um, mom and dad. And, um, you know, but, you know, it's life comes at you. You can just the only way to lose it if you quit. Right. You keep going, you keep going, you figure stuff, out, you know, so it was uh, there were a lot of different moments in that that journey. That that created in me having my kids when they were mid mid level teens to I think twelve to seventeen something like that. So, but again, that that's a long story with lots of funny moments, lots of heartbreaking moments. And if you want to go in a specific direction, take me there, Jen, because it's a it's a book, you know. I went through a really really rough divorce also, and. I also ended up re representing myself. And I remember there was stuff in court, like I shouldn't have custody because I wore a bikini on my Facebook page. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like, mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking, what a colossal waste of time. I'm in court three or four times a year. And I got, I got 
primary custody of all of my kids. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's crazy the stuff that comes up and how absolutely exhausting it is and ridiculous yeah. it is and just draining, not just financially. I mean, yeah, financially, but in every other way in your life. And yep. it's not in the best interest of the kids. It is mm -hmm. absolutely not in the best interest of the kids. It took years and years for me to get it done also. And, you know, that's hard. I, it's hard. I understand that anybody who's gone through it has understood that in the, in the meantime, while all that was happening, you were going back and forth, correct? Cause you got sole custody. I did. I got sole custody at the end, but there was, there was 50, 50 for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I was walking through metal detectors to pick up my son and uh, getting searched by police and, um, there were three domestic violence injunctions that were completely fabricated that took my children away from me for about six weeks at a time. You can't talk to them or get near them when you're out on one of those. And they all were dismissed immediately when we got into court because they were foundationless. Um, but yeah, you know, the challenges in that, you, you just keep getting up. And um, thank goodness I played a lot of sports because I yeah. was I was used to I was used to getting knocked down and getting back up again. <laughs> I think but, no matter what the situation is, I remember looking and being people are like, you're so strong. And I was like, what's plan B? Yeah. Like it's, this yeah. isn't what I want to be doing. Right. And yeah, you're right. I'm strong. But part of that is because of this situation, mm -hmm. insert situation here, not just the divorce, you know, and, and that like, what's the alternative? Is there, was there a plan B I didn't hear about? Like you just yeah, have no, to that's... move forward. Yeah, that's a good point. And I think that's, you know, when I talk to people about careers and professional stuff, it's like, there's two, there's two roads, you know, one is to continue to get better. And the other one is to get bitter, right? Mm -hmm. And that's not that was never a choice for me. I, I looked over there. And I'm like, that's not, no, mm -hmm. I only have one choice. And that's just to keep trying to figure stuff out. Right. So, so that's what I did. And I, you know, the challenge is, as you know, one of the big ones is, you know, not talking disparagingly, disparagingly about the other parent, regardless of how you feel, because that is definitely not interest in the best interest of the kids. And yep. unfortunately, she did that all the time. And I yep. think I did a pretty good job of not doing that. Um, probably could have been better because sometimes you just get a little lazy and feel a little down on yourself and you let one go. But uh, no, I, I, I kept that in mind the whole time. I, I did also, and you're right. There are times that it wasn't perfect. There are also times where, I, I mean, it's, you're saying the least bad thing in that situation too, where I felt like, geez, I mean, I could say a lot of stuff, but this is the least bad response yeah. to that. And it's not great. It, it, it's, it can be, it can be really challenging. Most of all of my kids, uh, except for one are adults. And so it was interesting how the conversation shifted when they were, I don't feel like they were ever, they were always unfiltered with me. Mm -hmm. But it shifted when we were both adults. And I said, you know, now that you're an adult, we can have a different conversation. I still don't want to talk badly about him, but I don't need to represent in court. Like we can have a much more adult and honest conversation now than yeah. we could when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. And that <laughs> they've been really funny. They've been really hard. Um, I've apologized for 
any parts you could have done better, you know, but I mean, definitely that's a great advice to give is like, do everything at all costs. Do not talk badly about the other person. Um, yep. That's, that's what happens in the courtroom and not with your kids. Talk to me about race. So you're raising three kids mm-hmm. splitting custody through part of this. You said you were already successful with before the divorce, but you've done some pretty, outstanding things all individually sole custody of your kids is a man that's not in his 20s right now because the world for us i was born in 70 i I know we're similar in age um and back then back then when we were it was worse for men than i think Mm -hmm. it is now so that was exceptional um you have also sold two companies at three million dollars each so you were raising kids while building million dollar companies and selling them take me through the companies yeah well when i got sole custody um that was at the tail end i actually had to sell the second company under i guess you call it duress um because she was doing things to me and to the business interfering with it uh just to mess with me and it became um kind of a pressure cooker for my partner one of them mm. and so we had agreed way back in the day when we started if one of us ever wants to get out of this we either buy you out or sell the company and split the proceeds so he uh, basically said i can't take this anymore and i'm like sorry dude that you feel that way but i get it and so i sold the company with him and then my my court journey continued um but the first company i sold i was a minority owner in and that guy was my mentor and uh, we worked together for about five years. He taught me everything there was to know. And, and one of the things I talked to, to people about, young or old, is the value of finding a mentor. And um, we clicked. He was a brilliant guy. And um, he basically funded the organization, told me what to do, and I did all the stuff. So that's when I started learning about hiring people and training people and options and making relationships and attorney relationships and accounting relationships and operations and recruiting and sales and uh, became a, a sales leader and a recruiting leader. And um, yeah, I was ready when he sold the company, he split, he didn't stick around to manage what he sold. He just left, took his money, cut me a big fat check. And I became the regional manager of the acquiring organization on a 12 month contract. And three months into that, I knew I can't work for these people. I can't work for somebody else. I got to do this on my own. So I picked up the phone and I called a, a good buddy of mine. We'd started out in the recruiting business together, worked together for three years and said, let's do this. And he said, I'm so glad you called. I'm ready to let's go. And we were oh. profitable. Yeah. We were profitable quickly because we we had all the tools, you know, and we were willing to do the work. So that's um, amazing. Yeah, it was fun. And it, it was, um, we, I think we did 2 million in the first year. And then 4 million, 8 million, 11 million. And then we coasted there through the dot-com bubble. Had some difficult times with collections for a while because we were in the software space. Got through that. And then things started to fall apart with me personally. And that's when that that fun began. (laughs) I mean, just the fact that you did all of that and you said the word fun in the midst of that because... (laughs) you also said the dirty word that makes me cringe and every time i hear it and i cringe i think what is a problem and that's sales Mm. you know the the dirty five-letter word 
Um, I know like everything, I'm a doula. I'm selling myself all the time to clients, mm -hmm. to speaking mm -hmm. engagements. Like sales is part of what we do every single day, no matter what. And some of it feels really innate and some of it feels a little car salesy. And it's differentiating for me, it was differentiating first learning you're selling yourself every single day yep. in every conversation. Um, and, and the other thing is like, and that doesn't have to feel like a used car salesman in the seventies. Mm -hmm. So, but you said the word fun and, and starting, starting a business and fun in the same sentence and sales all in yeah. the same sentence. Yes. <laughs> you know, it makes me, it makes me think about, uh, cause both of my daughters are, um, have successful online businesses. One of them helps women with, um, with body image and oh. uh, weaves yoga in there. And she's a film film producer as well. So she's very creative. And then my second daughter's in the nutrition space. And I remember them now coming to me talking about selling dad. I don't want to sell. I can't sell. I hate sales. And they're both killing it now. And so yeah. I think it was, it's a mindset shift. I think from, I've never called myself, well, that's not true. I call myself a sales guy all the time, but I, I feel more like an educator. I feel more like yeah. a mentor. I feel more like I just got to find people that need what I have and are yeah. ready to listen to someone like myself. And my message resonates with them for whatever reason, my worldview, my tone of voice, the fact that I'm a man, the fact that I'm a middle-aged man, Irish Catholic, who, who knows what's going to click with whomever. And they just, they, they need what it is that I have. And I'm just like, well, this is what it is. Let me just tell you what it is. And if you're ready for it, this is what it costs you want to get started or should we wait? You know, it's, right. it's, um, I think it's really finding people that are predisposed to what you already have and just telling them in a compelling manner without misleading them what it is and, and what they can expect from a transformative experience for lack of a better phrase. So once you, once you shift to that mindset, you don't feel sticky anymore. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when you love what you do, you know, I, I haven't loved what I've done every job that I've had. Some of them were, it was someone else's dream that I was supporting. Right. Yep. And when you realize that, okay, well, this is just me supporting someone else's dream. They're passionate about it. Um, I'm just, I'm a supporting role often the wing, right. And that's a lot different than having your own business. And that should be something that you really, really love. And when you love it, you're right. You only want to sell it to the people that want that. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And you love it. So your passion, I think that that really shows in, in yeah. how you have a conversation and also knowing that like every pregnant woman is not my client. You have to be a pregnant woman to be my client, but not every pregnant woman is my client. And right. so it's, it's figuring out that balance. What did you do? First of all, when the court date, when the court stuff was finally over, how were your kids? My kids were relieved. I still went to yeah. court after that, but my kids were relieved. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I remember um, the final court date with the young woman, the judge who was a young woman, relatively young woman, maybe late thirties, early forties, um, not yet jaded by the domestic yeah. court system. Like all these old dudes were. Like we've seen it all before. They didn't care at all. But I, my daughters both insisted on testifying. And, you know, I think my eldest at the time was just turned 18. And so that would make my 
other other daughter like 13 it was something like that it some of this stuff gets blurred over the years yeah yeah but um and i was not i was adamantly opposed to it until such time as they were obviously young adults that to your point earlier yeah and that doesn't happen on that doesn't happen on a day it happens over a period of time and you finally wake up and say wow that was a whole different conversation right there i'm i'm talking to an adult now you know and so i said okay this has got to come to an end this is ridiculous and if it's coming in there let's go and i remember when my eldest daughter they opened the door to the courtroom and she walked in and she put her hand on the bible and she didn't get two words out of her mouth she just started bawling and uh <laughs> her mother didn't even look at her and i looked at the judge and i looked at the judge look at my ex and look back at me and i thought I just won. I just won. She gets it. And so she said to me, the judge said, is this what you want? And I said, no, your honor, I don't want any of this. I want this to come to an end. That's what I want. My daughter's insisted on coming because of how ridiculous this has been for such a long period of time. And uh, my daughter was able to leave. I suggested that she leave. I She had done what she came for. She wasn't aware of it yet. But right. she she gotten what she came for, just in a in a alternative fashion because of her emotions. And um, I remember walking out of that courtroom. I almost fell down. I had to grab the railing. I was so emotionally shot, you know. But yeah, relief, celebration. Yeah. We went out for we all went out for dinner. My, yeah. my my brother was there. I had some friends there that were witnesses, and uh, we celebrated. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a really hard road and the kids know it, even though, you know, like my kids weren't in court. They asked to talk to the judge. Also, they did it. Some of them did it in a private room. They didn't yep, testify. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was just like, I, I'm I'm representing myself. I'm being dragged into court three or four times a year. You know, CPS is involved. All the I, when is this going to be done? And my kids really, they were like, we're done. And they weren't even, you know, I didn't tell them when court was coming up. I didn't tell them how stressed I was to go to court. Um, I didn't tell them how exhausting it was. I'm sure you can only hide so much, but they didn't even know what days I was in court or not. And, and still they felt all of that strain and wanted it to be over what did you do when that was over for business? Because somewhere in this, in that divorce, you sold that second business, and then what? Yeah, well, you know, the the, the skill set that I, that I have allows me to help anybody that's contemplating professional change, no matter what that means. It's, it's a pretty broad skill set, but I, I can get very specific in the multiple lanes within the skill set. So, I, when I help my eldest daughter find a job, I think it might have been out of high school. Maybe mm-hmm. it was after college. Um, you know, dad, I, I got to find work. What do I do? How, do? how do I do this? And I, I took her through the series of events that I would take anybody through. And she said to me after it was over and she had a job making more money than she thought she was going to make doing something she really wanted to do. Um, dad, you got to get this in front of more people. You have a, a set of experiences and knowledge that no one else is teaching out there. And that kind of got me thinking, you know, maybe I could just coach this stuff and that will allow me to get to the volleyball games, get to the volleyball practices, get to little league, get to soccer practice, go to the teacher meetings. 
I became a nomad with a laptop, just trading time for money. And I, right. and I, and I spent all of that time. I took a pretty significant financial hit, but I was also becoming a minimalist because the kids were getting out of the house and <laughs> all those big expenses that children incur are kind of almost behind me. So I'm like, let's strip it down and let's just go nomad. And that's what I did without any kind of rhyme or reason. It paid the bills for a while, made a couple placements here and there, had some clients in significant positions of authority that that um, gave me business that I had earned, but it was also like convenient, you know? So yeah. I cobbled that together and, 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 you know, my eldest won three state championship volleyball uh, rings and my middle, middle child won a, um, won a club champion, the best 14 year club in the country. We won that in Texas and, and had a national anthem celebration. I mean, it was cool. I did a lot of traveling and I dug deep. I was living life with my kids. I was, we were stuck at the hip. You know, so and my my son was with his mother at the time, and he told me, um, we said, "Come on," because the girls left uh, almost immediately after the the, the divorce because it was just argument and everything's dad's fault, and dad's an asshole, and like the kids don't want to hear that stuff. You know? No, so they came with me, but my son stayed with her, and he said to me one day, "I said, why don't you come on over, dude? It's it's all over." He said, Dad, Mom says if I she's gonna kill her. I'm like, wonderful. That's lovely. So that was tangled with her and became he was probably the most damaged from the whole experience because the girls were with me and they didn't talk to their mother for 10 years, literally, not once in 10 years, birthdays, Christmases, and um then he got into drugs and uh, we baker acted him and uh, my eldest daughter said to me um i don't think he's going to be able to overcome this dad if if mommy's not part of it and i said oh i think that's a very courageous thing for you to say and she said well i'm going to call her and the day he got out of his initial rehab which god bless us all is has been successful knock on wood his mother was standing there with his two sisters for the first time in 10 years and it was a pretty i was off in my car because i my presence in her sphere does not sit well to this day but um it was a really miraculous thing that happened a very courageous move on my oldest daughters and and um my son's doing well to this day so, that's amazing yeah i want to um kind of tie things up you you mentioned a little bit about what you do i i feel like when people become parents sometimes they love their job but it shifts there's something in most people that really shifts when you become a parent it it changes who you are i think experiencing a love like you've never felt and a shift in priority and knowing like you really are not the center of the world as a matter of fact someone else is the center of your world i think people really really change a lot and i also know a lot of moms who feel a little lost probably dads too i work with moms more but they feel like they've given up their identity to be a parent for a while and um you do consultations for all of that whether it's a new career um doing their own thing and i love that because i also think something else that's born when your kids are born is this ability to see things differently and find a need you know, 
help, help a need, serve a need. Um, a lot of women could really start their own businesses if they realize that they could really start their own businesses. Um, <clears throat> you know, even fear of losing your job or not wanting to do what you want to do or anxious about your own small business and wanting to move that forward. And like you kind of help with the gamut. When I read it, I was like, I mean, I love what I'm doing. I'm so grateful, but you, you see things from a different perspective. So even someone like me, who's I, I am living what I love. Mm -hmm. You could even help in that situation. So I want to wrap up with like sh that shameless self-promotion of what you do and all these parents out there who are kind of at a loss. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I'm thinking of one colleague, a guy that I've helped. He's probably closing in on late 30s now, but I've helped him. I'm a Notre Dame guy, and he was a Notre Dame guy too, many, many years younger than I. But he, he actually befriended my dad at Costco like 20 years ago. They bumped into each other. And um, and my father mentioned to him what I do. And he said, boy, I'd like to talk to Mark. And it, that became a relationship that's withstood you know, 10 plus years I've helped him four or five different times. Every time he comes to a crossroads in his career, he picks up the phone and we talk. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, um, my challenge, Jen, is that I can help everyone, but as yeah. you well know, you can't market to everyone. It just no. doesn't work. And so I've been really wrestling with this. I love helping young people. Yeah. I love helping, I love helping middle-aged men. I love helping entrepreneurs of any mm -hmm race, gender, religion, doesn't matter. People that have entrepreneurial aspirations, I can help them just wrap their arms around what that means. And uh, because more than anything, it's just, I've had a lot of experience and have had the opportunity to fail a lot and make a lot of mistakes, which are always learning experiences. So I can take somebody, I can see where they're going at, you know, five, 10 minutes into a conversation. I'm like, I know exactly what your challenge is. Let me tell you how I can help you. And this is what that's going to look like. And what I'm trying to do with that is turn it into a productized offering so I can scale it where yeah. I'll be involved in some one-on-one -on -one conversations over the course of say a six of milestones in place. We'll meet once a week for an hour. The group will get together, maybe five or 10 people in a group at a time. There'll be a community component that people can learn from each other. And I just basically take people from what's often a, a place of, a multitude of negative emotions, right? Fear, anxiety, uncertainty, uh, lack of confidence. Most of those things come from a lack of information, from a lack of answers. And I've got those answers in, I, I hesitate to say I've seen it all, but I've seen a lot. And so some people, most people just need to get out of their own way. Most people just need someone else to help them get out of their own way. And it's interesting as well, how many restrictions we put on ourselves. Like, I can't do that. You can do anything you want, right? You can do anything you want if you're willing to put in the work. But in order to get past that initial block, having somebody who's already done that is really helpful. You know, it's, um, we also seem to have a, a hesitancy with asking for help from other people. Mm -hmm. Some of us have a real difficult time asking for help. And, um, you got to ask for help. Everybody can use help. I just was, I was just watching, uh, looking at an email today from a woman who's, you know, significantly into the multi-millions in online marketing success. And she's just, just hired another coach and she flipped the business that she had it completely upside down and it tripled her revenue. 
you know? So it's like, that's the challenge. I can help everybody, but I can't market to everybody. So I'm figuring that out while I'm developing this product. I've, I've written so much content Mm -hmm. that I, the product is pretty much there. Um, I just have to put some structure around it and give it some teeth, like with quizzes and certificates and, you know, exams and, um, it's 85% done, but in the meantime, I can help people by getting on my calendar for 30 minutes. I, I give that free 30 minute call because I think it's, it's fair. I can, I can really figure out very quickly whether I can help you. And then I can tell you how I think I can help you. And then the clock starts ticking if you want further information from further guidance. But I, I don't think I've ever spent more than three hours with somebody before I got them you know, out of their own way and off to the races. And some people come back six months later, 12 months later for a refresher or just to bounce some circumstances off of me, that kind of thing. But I'm trying to figure that out so I can scale it so I can get it out to more people. I love that. Mar, thank you so much for being on and for sharing your story. I, I'm I'm really grateful to have had you on. Thank you. I'm very grateful to have been on. It was a pleasure, Jen. I really have enjoyed talking to you.